Hi, everybody, and welcome to episode 67 of Comic Book Queer's Legacy. I'm Brett. I'm joined by my co-host, Evil Jeff. Hi, Evil. Hi, what's going on? And we're also joined by another guest, or do we not want to get to him just yet? Are we oh saving? my god, let's build up, let's build up the momentum. Let's build let's up some momentum, some Build tension. up the excitement. I mean, it won't be that exciting because it'll say, when people click on it, it's going to say, like, who it is. So, um, oh, that's right. it's not going to be that much of a surprise, I guess. Well, for the one person who didn't read the blurb or the title before listening, let's just keep it a secret. <laughs> All right, just kidding. We are joined by none other than senior editor of Humanoid Pub Humanoids Publishing and, since we love Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse so much, oh my God, the guy who created the character of Spider-Man Noir, Fabrice Sapolsky. How are you, Fabrice? I'm great. I'm great. great. We are so excited to have you here. We have so we much. Are, I'm very excited. Yay! Also, yes. Yay, because you know what? Um, you know what's better than, than comic book fans? Super faggy comic book fans. Because we are like <laughs> way more invested. That's, the, that's yeah. the first time I hear that, but I love yeah. this. <laughs> we don't take it nearly as seriously as those cisgender straight fans. And we have a lot more fun with it. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, you know what? Because um, you know what comics always need more of is sass. And that's yeah. what we're trying to bring. <laughs> well, let's say that um, we've been blessed in the comic book world with uh, uh, um, a large gay community, both mm -hmm. invested in the creation side and on the fan side. Definitely. And, and, it's, and it's wonderful that now everybody is gets together at shows or comic book stores and like totally is out in the open. And this is a very liberal and open-minded community we have in comic books. Mm -hmm. It's like a, it's like a bubble and we want to keep it that way. Yeah. Gays love popping bubbles. Yes. And blowing bubbles. Gays just love bubbles and glitter. L and blowing. Love is all. <laughs> um, Fabrice, you live in L.A. with Evil Jeff. Not with Evil Jeff, but you both live in the same <laughs> well, city. That's, that's going to be a new surprise. Right. <laughs> we are in the same area. <laughs> that, that, what neighborhood do you live in? I live in Hollywood. Oh, okay. Okay, awesome. Yeah. God, we have a real star. I know. Well, so living in Hollywood. He's Hollywood. That strangely people call now Eho. Eho? Yeah. Eho. Sounds perverted. Like I live in NoHo, and then the other gays live in WeHo. Eho. Eho. That just sounds. Silly. That sounds like an insult to like a. Yes, lady. absolutely. Yes. I feel yeah. like in the early two thousand. It's like a. It's dark. like a like a yeah like a, like a, like a prostitute that goes online. She's an exactly. E She's an eho. Yeah. Like, I don't like. Started that. out as an eho, and then I was a camboy. <laughs> yeah, um, well, that's yeah. that's how they say in the area, but I'm, I'm I don't think it's gonna stick. Yeah, I will. Say, I work in Hollywood, and Hollywood is actually. It's it's actually very one of the least Hollywoody places because there's so many tourists 
it, it, it just is full of people that are that are, don't live here. <laughs> Not where I live. Well, I mean, you're in East Hollywood. You're like yeah, I'm, I'm past now, the right? 101. Yeah, yeah, and when yeah. you when you're past the 101, it's like totally like you, real human beings living in yeah. a decent area. Have you gone and gotten? You go to Thai town a lot. Get good Thai Thai food. Uh, no, actually, no. I cook a what? lot. Oh, okay. Right. So I prefer staying home and cooking. Oh, okay. So well, California. Get the gang pork. Um, so French. Is really good. <laughs> well, it's the best, best food in the world. It's French. Fabrice, are you of, of French origin? Is that an accent I detect? You can totally say that I'm not American, yes. <gasps> I was oh, born and raised so in lucky. Paris, where I lived for 44 years before moving to America. 44 years? Yes. And that's you are the straight best up thing French, like, my friend. I know, and then Absolutely. you can say anything in French. Like here, I want you to say, um, "You're the ugliest person I've ever seen in French to me." You really want me to? Yeah, I want you to like, say that. Like call you right names now. and. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just you're say the ugliest yeah. person. Yeah, yeah. Just say that to me right now in French. Tu es la personne la plus immonde que j'ai jamais rencontrée. See, that's the hottest oh, so thing beautiful. I've ever heard. Oh. <laughs> that was gorgeous. <laughs> But that was terrible. Matter. I know. It's not, you're just like it's saying horrible sad, things dude. to me. And I'm like, oh, Beautiful. oh my God, really? <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for being ugly. <laughs> you're not ugly. What are you talking about? Um, oh, in WeHo. And I'm, I'll just say like in the, in the general population, maybe mm-hmm. I'm a seven, but in WeHo, I'm a fucking negative five. All right. But anyway. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, let's talk about Spider-Verse. Yes. And uh, I guess one of the things that you created Spider-Man Noir. I, I co-created Spider-Man Co-created Noir. that. So, how, and let's talk about just like how did that uh, come about? As I often put it, I had a dream. Like literally? Literally. Like I mean, I woke up oh, one God. morning. I was in London. This, I can't even, I remember that. I'm very good with dates. Everyone who know me know that sometimes I will keep track of dates in the most stupidest way. But I remember that day, just like it was yesterday, it was December 6, 2006. Wow. And I was in London for a meeting, and I I booked a hotel the night before because the meeting was early. Uh, and so I woke up, and I was shaving, and I literally got the idea of a dark Spider-Man person in the 1930s, and he was... Uh, chased by the cops and he was on he was in the Daily Bogle and there was the corpse of J. Jonah Jameson and the headline and he was holding a uh, a newspaper and the headline was Who Killed JJJ? Mm. I love it. And this scene is more or less the first uh, two pages of the first series mm-hmm. of Spider-Man Noir that we wrote. So after that I I thought, wait a minute, this is a really good idea. Um, And I happened to have a breakfast in Kensington. And for people who know London, Kensington is the French area. It's the French area of London. So I had had a uh, a meeting at Kensington with David Hine. David Hine uh, is a writer, um, is also co-creator of Spider-Man Noir with me. And Dave, Dave and I, we we go way back. We, We actually met... Uh, in 2005, I think, um, at a breakfast in, at another breakfast, we're breakfast people, uh, at another breakfast in San Diego Comic-Con. Oh, awesome. Um, that was organized by a person that I really love called Richard Starkings, who's the guy who invented 
uh, modern uh, comic book lettering in the early nineties. Oh, cool! Um, oh. And so Richard Stark, Richard Starkings actually, uh, I shout out to uh, I call him the master <laughs> because he, I mean, he introduced me to three of my best friends. Um, there's David Hine, uh, and I went on to co-create and co-write Spider-Man Noir with him. There's Justin Moritat Norman, who's a, a very talented artist, and Justin is one of my best friends. And there's Joe Keating, who's a writer who lives in Portland and who's also one of my best friends. And those three came out of uh, those breakfasts with um, Richard Starkings. He was organizing them every year in San Diego and, like, you would show up a Saturday morning at the breakfast and you didn't know who you were seated next to. And wow. every year it was a different person. And the three years I went there, I got a best friend out of it. So um, I'm very lucky. He's like a matchmaker. Oh, uh, he's like that. Yeah. He's kind of like that. Um, so I met David and then uh, we had breakfast in Kensington. And I said, okay, look, I, had, I just got this idea. And at the time, I was a comic book journalist. I was not a writer. I was a comic book journalist, and I just got an idea. So I took it to Dave, and I said to Dave, what do you think? And he said, that's the most ridiculous thing I ever heard. It will never work. <laughs> oh, David uh, Hine. <laughs> David Hine. Um, so I went to my meeting. Uh, for the record, it was at Titan Publishing. Uh, we were talking about doing a magazine. I, we never did. But... They invited me to a great Lebanese restaurant, and I have to say, Lebanese food is one of the best uh, ever. Um, so I had a very good meal, and and then after I took my train back to Paris, um, and remember it's two thousand six, and there were no smartphones or very little, mm -hmm. so when uh, I didn't have access to my email, so, so when I came back, razors, I believe. What? Wasn't it like the Motorola Razor? Was the yes. Oh, you mean that the, 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 the flip phones? <laughs> Actually, I had a very terrible Windows phone at the time, oh, an Asus phone. Oh, yeah. So it was like an a, Asus? a Asus, Asus. I don't know how you pronounce it. Asus. Never heard of it. It's it's a it's a brand. Yeah, if you saw the logo, you'd recognize it. Yeah, yeah. It sounds like anus. We see where you're coming from. <laughs> um, and I could tell you, like, with that name in French, you can have all sorts of, like, sexual jokes. So yes. I'm not going to say it right now. Uh, I, I feel like that's, like, true about most of the French language, right? <laughs> just wait, just wait for sexual jokes. I'll, no. I'll leave that judgment to you. Uh, <laughs> Carry on a bit, uh, So uh, I came back, and it was, like, almost midnight, and I opened my emails, and I find a long-ass email from Dave saying, okay, I changed my mind. Oh. I thought about it. It stuck with me all day. And it was a challenge. It, could, it can work, but if we yeah. do this, this, and this, and this. And Dave was more interested in the pulp uh, elements, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and I was more the noir elements. Mm -hmm. Okay. And I often say that when we pitched it to Marvel, um, when, it, when we pitched it to Marvel, it, it was... Uh, more uh, an hybrid uh, mm -hmm. and Dave wanted to call it Spider-Man Pulp and I said no we should stick to Spider-Man Noir not just, mm -hmm. just because it was my original ID but also because I think it sounds better Yeah. yeah. and uh, Marvel uh, Marvel was okay with that so we went with Spider-Man Noir 
but we retain the pulpy elements. And I mean, you see in that, in that volume, when we brought it to Marvel, we didn't know that there would be other Spider-Man, um, other noir series. And from what I understood after like talking to all the parties involved, there were nothing, there was nothing before we came. So we brought the project and Joe Quesada loved it. And he said, okay, green light, we're doing it. And next thing you know, we had an editor, Warren Simons. Um, and, um, and Warren called us and said, hey, I'm your editor. We're going to, uh, we're going to do it. So we signed the contracts early 2007. And uh, we started working on the book. Uh, Marco Djurjevic designed the, the costume from mm -hmm. uh, what Dave and I wrote. And we were cool. pretty specific in the way we wrote the costume. We had very uh, precise ideas of what we wanted. So we went into a direction, and the direction was not what we wanted. Um, and uh, a little story, like... Um, when he offered the design, he offered like four different designs. The first one is the one that we reject. Everyone rejected it. It was like a leather uh, kind of brown and red suit. Mm -hmm. But we said, no, in the script, it's supposed to be a military gear that is repurposed as a superhero okay. yeah. uh, costume. Yeah, that be red. Because, because in, the, yeah, in the story, he's taking, it, it needed to be something that Peter can do himself like very quickly. Uh, and using Uncle Ben's, um, Uncle Ben's uh, original World War I mm -hmm. uh, Air Force uh, suits was the best way to go. So you dye it black and you like patch it up and boom, you have a costume. Um, the, with the goggles and stuff. So then he came back with a second design, um, and that second design came with three versions. Um, and it's funny because as time went by, a lot of other media started to use those versions that were not the ones that we selected. Oh, interesting. Um, so there's the version with the short sleeve leather jacket. Mm -hmm. That one we rejected. There's the one with the hat we rejected also and the one that we took is no hats and trench coat mm -hmm. okay and a turtleneck uh but now we're like 12 years after and there are like three or four different iterations of spider-man noir that are going on there's the cartoon version there's now the spider-man spider-verse version mm -hmm. there's the video game version and so a lot of people know the character with different costumes and they don't necessarily know uh, which one is the original one? But I, I'm saying it loud. The one that we picked <laughs> is the turtleneck and and trench coat and no hat. Which one did you do? You feel that because to me it, it seems like the the PS4 video game version was pretty close. Which was there any iteration that you thought was pretty true to the original comic or your original vision? You mean that is not a comic book? Yeah. Right. N none. <laughs> Hello. Take that. Damn. That doesn't mean that I don't like them, but sure. they're all they're all different for different reasons. So I have a question then. So when, how did you find out that uh, that Spider-Man Noir was going to be in the Spider-Verse movie? Um, it was brought to my attention when somebody I knew uh, saw it in Variety. 
So I learned oh, through wow. the trades. Okay, so you had not, like there was no like hey heads up or well so <clears throat> or, first or for the video use. game the video game was the first. Uh, it's too bad that nobody sees it, but I have the T-shirt of the video game right now. I'm wearing a T-shirt. Oh, this yeah. T-shirt has a story. Oh. I had to beg Activision to give it to me and say, hey, I'm the co-creator of Spider-Man Noir. Can you give it to me? And like, <laughs> I made a fuss in San Diego Comic-Con in 2011 yes. just to get a t-shirt. They were giving it away to everybody. And like, I was like in line and nobody wanted to give it to me. Yeah. So I had to... Sometimes you, you have to be like, do you, you know show your badge? Yeah. yeah, I had yeah. to be there and, so, and, and be awful about it. And like, yeah. okay, Sometimes I'm sorry, but I'm going, I'm going to girl. bug you until I get that T-shirt. I want that T-shirt yeah. because there's awful Spider-Man wearing the back. Get shit done. And so, um, so yeah. Um, what was it? Oh, yeah. So for, for the video game, uh, the thing is, be, three weeks before the video game release, uh, it was Spider-Man Shattered Dimensions. Three weeks before it was released, we get an email from our editor. At the time, it was Alejandro Arbona, very nice person. Hey, shout out to Alejandro. Um, and Alejandro said, hey, hey, by the way, Activision loves Spider-Man Noir so much that they put it in the video game. Cool. cool. Can we see something about No. <laughs> That's all we know. <laughs> all right. And then a year later, later um, the cartoon people, the Marvel Animation, they, they did a Spider-Verse crossover mm-hmm. um it was in 2012 i think and if my memory you, is good and then you actually saw it so when it actually came out that's the first time you actually saw it and i and i saw it i saw it when it was uh, broadcasted yes uh there was a or i saw it on youtube i don't even remember but again it was brought by to my attention by somebody who saw it and said hey your character is in a cartoon wait what and I was not even aware of it. And then did you watch it and he doesn't have the right outfit and you're like, um... He has the trench coat, right. but he has the hat. <laughs> so you don't like that hat then? Well, in the comics, he uses the hat for one particular scene in the mm-hmm. second series because he wants to pose as a mobster to get into a club. Yeah. So it's just like he's, us- he's taking a hat, he's using the hat, but this is not his hat. Well, this is... Let's be honest. It's ridiculous... To swing with a hat. Yeah. It would fall right off. The hat would fall. So in the cartoon, you have Spider-Man Noir talking like he's from, like he's a play play actor. And he's like, he's in a car chase and he has a hat. Yeah. And it's like, wait a second. How kids can buy that? Like the hat will not fall and he's in a car chase. (laughs) So this is really strange. We must say that in, in defense of, of, of horrible uh, costume choices, a lot of costume choices are very bad in real life. Capes, um, scantily clad women. <laughs> yes. Long hair. A lot of things are very unreal. Yes. And I w- I'm, I'm totally okay to tolerate the one with the short sleeve uh, leather mm-hmm. jacket. And I understand why Activision... I chose to uh, put it in the video game because they needed to have they needed it to have the same shape as the others so that yeah. it's a skin, uh, and it happens to be the most popular costume, of mm-hmm. course, because mo- the most people have played with the video games, and Spider-Man Noir has been in every video game ever since. So I understand that when people show up at the at my table or like talk to me about the characters or cosplay as the character, they have the short short sleeve, but once they have a discussion with me, they come back with the trench coat. Okay. What if they come with the hat? Are you like not signing anything? 
That's a, you know what? It, no, I'm signing. I'm signing everything. But you're right to bring that topic. Um, some people are disappointed because when I'm at comic book shows, I only agree to sign the comics that I wrote. Oh, so you like if someone has like a video game, you're not gonna. Uh, no, no, the video game I will, but oh, okay. the mm -hmm. comics that I didn't write. Oh, okay. Like a Spider Verse or Spider Geddon. Uh, right? Spider Geddon, Spider Verse, yeah. or Web Warriors, yeah. I will not sign because yeah, I feel you that nothing to do with it. I have nothing to do with yeah, it. I was not sense. consulted. This is not my thing, yeah. and it's not because I created a character that this this is Marvel's character. Yeah, and like. That's okay. I mean, when I created it, I knew that it would be Marvel's character. That's also why I created my own characters after. Because if I want to have something to say about the future of a character, it needs to be mine. Yeah. But for Spider-Man Noir specifically, I understand the rule. The rule is that this is a work for hire. This is a derivative of Spider-Man. And I, I happen to be very, very lucky to be the right man at the right place at the right time. Yeah. And being able to bring that project to life so i mean thank you marvel thank you everyone but i will i will not sign the comics that i didn't write i think that's yeah. perfectly understandable i think you're being very gentlemanly about it i mean brett recently talked to chris claremont at mm -hmm. a signing and uh uh i don't think anyone will ever reach the levels of bitterness <laughs> as a chris claremont i'm they not bitter at all no you're not away. that's what i'm saying is i think everything you're saying sounds completely reasonable but Fabrice, when you go to see, have you seen Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse? Twice. Uh, okay. First, I have to say again, thank you, Marvel. They invite, <laughs> they had me invited at the premiere, at the oh, world nice. premiere. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, and I was with like other fine spider creators. We had a we had a ball. It was like oh, great. That's I was so like cool. sitting next to Dan Slott and Robbie Rodriguez and and Jason Latour. Uh, Giuseppe Camuncoli came from Italy. That's like wow. Oh. Wow. Um, yeah, and we were like a little gang. We had that, that this Marvel corner, like we were like the creators were there. And I felt very honored to be there, like yeah. to be honest. That's yeah. wonderful. Oh, that's awesome. It's like a real life Spider-Verse. It was kind of that, yes, absolutely, yes. Um, so I was going to ask, were you sitting in the audience going, you know, I, I, I created that character. But it sounds like you weren't because you were, everyone knew in your first viewing anyway, <laughs> that oh, you did create it, it, that character. Yeah, so everyone knew that I created the character, well, especially in the world premiere event, but because I was invited because of that, that was the reason why I was there in the first place. Um, yeah. and, and then I went a second time uh, with like regular people, and I was more like listening to their reaction when the character appeared. Mm -hmm. yeah. And I think the best was after the, the movie, there was a guy right beside me who said, Spider-Man Noir, awesome! Yeah. And it was like, okay, cool. <laughs> so cool. Did you then say, yeah. you know, I created him? And he was like, get the fuck No, I didn't <laughs> say anything. I'm, like, not like here, I'm not like that. I'm not like that. Like, it's mine. It's mine. I, I would have been grabbing anyone. Like, you know, I, I'm the guy that made that. You know that, right? But hey, and they get the biggest celebrity that did your character. Nicholas Cage. Everyone yeah, else was and, some schmuck. Well, and another thing that was not, that I was like disappointed about is at the world premiere, I couldn't see him. Oh, was I, he not? Was he there? I don't think he was there. What? He's such a big comic book fan. I, I know, would, but would, I mean, like, I would have loved. I mean, Nicholas, if you hear this, I want to meet you and shake your hand because you did a great job. Yeah. Oh, he's not listening. <laughs> Maybe he will after this episode. <laughs> Unless he's a fan of the magicians. <laughs> 
Well, you, you should like put like all the. You should like hashtag him or like whatever. We're gonna come. Oh yeah, we'll add that mother hardcore. Yeah, we'll add <laughs> yeah. We're gonna add him so hard. Yeah. Um, anything else about Spider Man Noir, Mister um, Jeff? I have a question. I have a. There's one. I think the thing that was surprising to me that I because I was expecting it to be very double indemnity very just like but it actually goes into like it gets it goes into very dark topics that most comics just don't want to oh touch. you mean the comic book the comic book yes it was it, it goes into very dark yeah. places that it's kind of like i'm even now i feel like if it was made now people would be scared i think we couldn't make it now topics about this yeah. we, we, it's dealing we, we, with could, we wouldn't be able capitalism, to capitalism yeah poverty like it's dealing with so a lot let of let me tell you how it it came to be and it's a really interesting story first that was a very different marvel it was pre-disney it was a time it um i mean joke said i was the editor-in-chief joke said as a creator he understands these things like really good i mean no disrespect for the actual uh, people who are running Marvel and C.B. Sabolsky. I know I've known him for years. is is a good person, um, but um, at the time, there was room for this kind of original projects that came out of nowhere, and um, I think they were also attracted by the fact that Dave and I are Europeans. Mm-hmm. And when they recruited the rest of the creative team, that is really interesting, is for the first two miniseries, the artist is uh, Carmine Di Gian Domenico, who's Italian. Marco Djurjevic is half Serbian and half German. So there were no Americans there. So it's the probably the only, to my knowledge, the only Spider-Man series created by Marvel Comics in the U.S. I'm not counting Spider-India, because Spider-Man India was created for the Indian market and mm-hmm. then imported in the States. But Spider-Man War was created by the American office and the Marvel offices in New York. And they recruited specifically, after we took the project to them, they recruited European creators. And they even pushed in that direction after. Um, we were called back for an encore, uh, Dave and I, in 2014. Mm-hmm. Uh, for an issue called Age of Spider-Verse number one. Um, and Age of Spider-Verse number one, we got Richard Isanov as an artist, and Richard is also French. And it's, it was funny because at the time, the editor had changed. It's the current uh, Spider-Man group editor, Nick Lowe. And I was joking with him at one point that he was the only one who didn't speak French. Because <laughs> Dave Hines speaks perfect French. I speak French and Richard is French too. So it was like funny. We could have like had like editorial meetings in French, which we didn't, by the way, because Dave Hine refuses to speak French with me. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's part of his like uh, demeanor. Uh, <laughs> um, but um, yeah, um, it's, it's interesting that they wanted to keep the European, um, uh, the European vibe. And I think the way we look at we looked at politics and socioeconomic social justice mm-hmm. it was it's it's a book about social justice basically if you look at it in the first pages you have the setting the first miniseries is is about that it's about social justice and the second miniseries is about um uh, difference yeah. it's about how how do you deal with uh ethnicities different cultures minorities uh, and and it's it, it's entwined with like horrible stuff that the Nazis are doing. 
so we always designed Spider-Man Noir to be political, to be uh, to make people think, and it was always going to be an adult, mature uh, book. Yeah. Yeah, I wasn't expecting that. I thought it was going to be more like campy in a way. No, but, yeah. But it's, For it's, people it's, who it's haven't just, read yeah. it, do, no, don't and, expect Nicolas Cage. Yeah, yeah, it's and hard boiled, which you know, it's it's, it's totally yeah. hard boiled. And if you mm-hmm. look at how Spider, well, I remember when I was talking to Dave in the early days, I said that m- m- the thing that interested me the most was what if Peter Parker was born in a different era? What kind of man uh, he would be? Um, Raised different in a rougher, tougher environment, and I mean, we—it was a conscious decision on our part to make um, Uncle Ben and Aunt May um, communists mm-hmm. and activists mm-hmm. running a shelter in New York City. So, we, and people are telling me like all the time, but he's seventeen years old in the story. In the first two miniseries, he's seventeen years old, uh, but he's very mature. Mm-hmm. But I was, and I'm always answering like, if you saw half the things he saw at yeah. that age, you would be an adult at 11 years old, because his 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 parents were running a shelter, and you, you see all the misery of the world there. Yeah. You, you see all the problems of the world, and nothing is spared. Mm-hmm. So you grew up really fast. Yeah. So at 17, you're very mature. Yeah. Back then, it's not like he would have gone to college and then no, party. No. Yeah, I mean, was, and that's yeah, also one of the reasons why he's, he's uh, mentored by uh, Ben Urich and he loves Ben Urich so much because Ben Urich becomes that uh, father figure who's also completely twisted mm-hmm. because he's, he blackmails people. Yeah. And so Spider-Man Noir is, is the, the combination of Uncle Ben and Aunt May's uh, generous... And social justice activism, and Ben Urich's uh, twisted ways in getting information. Mm-hmm. When Ben Urich was catatonic on Smack, I, I, I was surprised. I was like, "Whoa, you straight up made Ben Urich a heroin junkie." Yeah, yeah, that was uh, great. When we came up with that, it, when we came up with that, it was like really obvious. And I remember the discussion, like because uh, uh, Dave. I think Dave pitched that to me first, like about the heroine thing about Ben Hurek. Um, and, um, and he said, well, and we try to look at how he would become that. Well, if he needs information, he also give information. And that's why he's a good journalist. And he has files on everybody. And he's dangerous because he's desperate. He wants, he wants to have his heroine. Um, yeah, and that desperation is is another such such a part of the genre. You know, like I yes. feel like if you're if it were to describe characters in noir, desperate would absolutely be on the list. Absolutely, yeah. Well, we loved it. Yes, yeah. so really great job. Um, so, <laughs> Thank you very so much. So that you know, those are your work for hire characters. However, yes, you've got some original works out there, and um, yes. Jeff and I read your original graphic novel, Intertwined, which I believe came yes. out in 2017, was published 2017? 2017, yes, absolutely, yes. Can you talk to us about kind of the, the origins of that and where you got the idea and, and why um, you wanted to tell the story? In, Intertwined grew out of the frustration from not doing Spider-Man Noir. So, that, I said it. Um, <laughs> yeah, fair. I, I, after um, after we did the second series, 
Dave and I, we had ideas to noirify the whole Marvel universe. And we didn't know, again, we didn't know at the time that Marvel was doing this. So we had a roadmap with like 17 different series with all Marvel characters in a noir environment at the same time. Oh, that's awesome. Because they did the X-Men. But our take would have been very different. But is there there anyone that you had that they didn't do? I'm just curious about. Oh, yeah. Plenty of them. Could you could you give me? We had a one. Doctor Strange Noir. Oh, oh yeah. Who was like a, <laughs> a charlatan, awesome. um, and and he was like doing potions and horrible stuff. Like oh, it was yeah, more of a horror thing, um, and it would totally tied up to the junkie thing in Spider Man Noir. Uh, so we had this one. Uh, we had uh, we had a Fantastic Four Noir ID. We had we had many many different uh, noir versions of our characters, and we wa- we wanted to do that. We we thought about all this, um, but we never got the chance because Marvel went another route. That's okay. Um, so after after the second miniseries and the first miniseries was like a success, and the second miniseries was a success too. Uh, but Marvel said it, Marvel was a, in a place where they said we can't do another one. Mm-hmm. So. All right, we waited, waited, waited. And in 2014, we were called for uh, Edge of Spider-Verse. So Nick Lowe said, we want to do an issue uh, to bring Spider-Man Noir back to the readership because we're going to do this crossover called Spider-Verse. And we said, all right, we have 20 pages. What can we say? So (laughs) that's the funny thing. The first thing that we thought is that, okay, they're bringing Spider-Man Noir back. They're, they're giving it back to us. They're going to kill him. So we introduced a time jump it, between the second series of Spider-Man Noir and Edge of Spider-Verse. There are eight years. Eight years have flown. Oh, so in case the they future. kill him, so in case they kill him, you have those eight years. Correct. To do another yes. That's smart. Um, so we start in 1940, and we tell this story with Mysterio, and the character dynamics are different. He's older. He's with Mary Jane, and and she's a badass already because we like strong female characters, Dave and I. Um, uh, And it's a story about illusion because you have this escape artist called Mysterio who's, like, uh, spreading chaos. Uh, And and we said, okay, we're doing this, and hopefully Edge of Spider-Verse number one will be a success, and it will be enough of a success so they will finally give us what we want, which is either a third miniseries or a one-shot or an ongoing series. Mm-hmm. But that never came because Edge of Spider-Verse number one was a huge hit. Like, it was over, probably over 100,000 copies mm-hmm. sold. It's, to, to date, my biggest seller in comics. But then we were overshadowed by Edge of Spider-Verse number two, which was the first appearance of Spider-Gwen. Yeah. Which oh. went on to selling 300,000 yeah. copies or so. Oh, wow. So Spider-Gwen got greenlit for uh, an ongoing series immediately, and then we didn't get anything. So we waited and waited, and in 2015, I was traveling to China because I was invited by a Chinese company. And in the plane, they wanted to make comics, and well... Long story short, they didn't make anything with me, actually. 
uh, but I got a nice trip, <laughs> all paid <laughs> for in, in Beijing. That all that mattered. Ten days there, um, but on the plane going there, I had the idea for uh, intertwined, and because I said, "All right, so I can't do any more Spider-Man noir because Marvel doesn't seem to be." interested in in the idea and again that's okay it's their right but i have so many unused ideas i have to do something with this and and i was going to china and i've always been a martial arts fan so i created this new concept called kung fu noir and and intertwined came out of this so if you see similarities not in the story the story and you probably uh, will agree with me. The story is very different from mm-hmm. what Spider-Man Noir yeah. is, but you can feel oh, yeah. that it comes from the same person. Yeah, that the author is the same. Very similar uh, energy, for sure. Yes, thank you very much. And uh, but it, and it was also a way for me as a creator to say, hey, I was the co-writer. Even though the original concept of Spider-Man Noir is mine, I was the co-writer, and I chose to be the co-writer on Spider-Man Noir because uh, if I came and say, hey, I'm the only writer I would never have been published. I had no prior comic, and, uh, and I'm not American, and English is not my first language. So there are a lot of obstacles that made my position very difficult. Mm-hmm. And that's why meeting Dave was a blessing, because Dave said, okay, I'm going to take you by the hand, and I'm also going to show you the ropes. Dave was an incredible mentor to me in, in how to create a comic book and how to make it relevant mm-hmm. in terms of story, in terms of dialogue, in terms of pacing. Um, and, uh, and then Intertwine came, and I was on my own. Um, in the meantime, I had created two other projects, one which, one which is uh, totally unpublished in the States called Black Box that I did with uh, Tom Lyle in 2011. And the other one called One Hit Wonder that I did with Ariel Olivetti uh, at Image in 2014, 2015. Mm-hmm. But these projects were not noir projects. And, and the people that like, knew me or knew my work through Spider-Man Noir, they say, wait a minute, this guy is not doing noir. We want more noir. So this is my alley. So at one point you say, all right, fuck it. This is my alley. I'm going to write another noir project. And that was intertwined. And then talk about the creative team that you put together for that. Uh, I knew that for inter, you mean for Intertwine? Yeah. I knew that I needed an artist who could draw Kung Fu mm-hmm. because I wanted real accurate Kung Fu. So I started looking for comic book creators who knew Kung Fu. Um, and there were three, two or three that were okay because like up to now, all the Kung Fu things were, it was like really shit. Like and I'm I'm a fan of Iron Fist. I love Master of Kung Fu. Mm-hmm. I love all these comics, but I love them for the story, not for the Kung Fu. The Kung mm-hmm. Fu is awful, <laughs> and it's not accurate. But I wanted accurate Kung Fu. I wanted people to actually realize that this is a real thing, Kung Fu. And there's a lot to learn from the philosophy, from the moves, from the energy, all this. Um, so there was a competition with three different artists that I won't name. Uh, and out of those three, Fred Famshuang was the most gifted. He wanted it. Mm-hmm. He wanted it. And the fact was that uh, Fred is also French, like me, made it easier. Even though the every, I only write in English. I never write in, in another language. I cannot write in another language than English. So everything that I write is English. 
but if he didn't understand, I could I could explain him after, mm-hmm. um, and it happened on uh, some occasion that I had to explain him what I wanted in the script. So um, Fred wanted it. Fr- Fred was the best. He was the best choice. He and he. And that's the funny thing also. He's, the first thing he said to me is like, I can draw Kung Fu, but emotions are a challenge. And over the course of the book, you can see how it becomes more comfortable with the emotional side. Mm-hmm. And, and when you get to the last page, you get it. Mm-hmm. Especially if you read as a graphic novel, because the, the, the uh, um, issue by issue uh, miniseries, the six-issue six miniseries that we released first, it was a completely different story. We, we, we didn't have the time to publish the vision that we wanted. So when the trade uh, was, uh, after we finished the, the sixth issue, we say, okay, let's bring it back to what we initially wanted. And the trade paperback is actually our vision. Okay. That's awesome. Yeah, yes. the, uh, the page you're talking about where, you know, it's the, really the, the crescendo of, of his emotional drawing and his development of that skill. Do you mean the page with <laughs> Leah? Where sort of you, uh, uh, like the, the yeah. at the end of, they don't have, they have yeah. no more illusions about them. They're connecting yes. as who they are. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. There's, there's, there's that. There's this character you're spoiling, bad boy. Um, uh, this character was very important to me uh, because uh, it, I mean there are a couple of characters. I don't know if you guys want to talk about the story and all, but yes, there are a couple please. of yeah. there are there Unless are a couple of characters. I mean, you can spoil whatever you want. I hope people will still buy the book after. Um, but there are a couple of characters that are important. What I like the most when I write, and it's the same with every project that I do, is that you think you're in for something and you discover something else. Yeah. So you come in because you're attracted by the look of the costume, the fact that it's a kung fu story, and that there are like superpowers or so-called superpowers. It's actually based on Chinese cosmology, but yes, it looks like they look like superheroes. Mm-hmm. They're not superheroes, but they look like superheroes. Uh, but it's a Trojan horse because ultimately this is a love story book. Mm-hmm. The heart of the book is a love story between two guys. Yeah. yeah. Yay. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> um, and the one thing I want to say, so before we get into like the story of it, what and it's always very difficult because that was one of the main problems I think with uh, something like Iron Fist coming out yeah. is people were like, "Uh oh, here's like some white guy doing like Asian kung fu." Yeah. So I think what was, was it important for you to make sure that this was um, a chi- like a a person from Hong Kong that was the star of this. And how did you feel about trying to write someone that's in a different culture than, than yourself? So, well, first, um, I'm an immigrant mm-hmm. here. Just keep that in mind. Yeah. I'm an immigrant. I'm a minority. Mm-hmm. And, um, and as a result, that experience is more or less the same for yeah. all the immigrants that are also minorities. Mm-hmm. So... You're a double minority. You're an mm-hmm. immigrant and you're a minority. So when you're both those things, you can other other people from other ethnicities or other cultures can relate. And you can relate to them. We usually find each other. It's it mm-hmm. it's easier. And when I was writing this, I was in New York. Most of the writing happened while I was in New York. 
And New York is like the mecca of immigrants. It's, it's where you have like, you can find all the cultures in the world in the same place. Yeah. But it also inspired me, the setting, the title, everything. And, and in the Kickstarter campaign, I was, uh, this is what I said in the promotional uh, reel that we shot. Like New York is the place where all the cultures are intertwined because they're not necessarily, line. they're not necessarily talking. Here. Yeah. They're not necessarily talking to each other. But they understand and respect each other's presence yeah. on this giant chessboard that is New York. Yeah, and I like the idea of how as the story progresses, it's um, there's Chinese people, and then there is Jewish Haitians, people, and then there's Haitians. So yes, all, all the, the languages coming. Yeah, all the languages. You've got all Creole, yes. Cantonese, yes. Mandarin, yeah. Hebrew. Uh, yeah. yeah. Yep. Absolutely. And did you are do you are you fluent or close to fluent in any of those languages or was that a lot no, of research? No. That was a lot of research and wow. a lot of uh, and a lot of uh, uh, questions asked. Mm -hmm. First, um, my uh, my brother is fluent in Mandarin. Mm. Uh, because his wife is Chinese. So of course this was not Mandarin that yeah, we were it's Cantonese, it's Cantonese Kong, yeah. but it was still easier. So I had consulting on that mm. part uh, and I asked the right questions uh, for the Hebrew part it was kind of the same thing I mean I'm Jewish but uh, I don't master Hebrew at all but I know how to ask to the right people mm -hmm. um, I happened to also research on the um, Chinese Jews the Chinese Jewish communities and that's how the character of, of Leah came to be because I wanted a character that was unique, that had never been seen in comics. And to make her the last Jewish daughter of Kaifeng, which was where the, the, most, the biggest Jewish community was back in the day. And it, this is a fascinating story that I hope that I can tell in a future, in a future volume, is how she left and why she left. Mm -hmm. And also because Kaifeng was this place where Chinese people were not, they were not aggressive towards Jews. They were never aggressive. They were so nice that uh, integration was easier and then it became assimilation and they disappeared. Yeah. Um, but th that girl, I saw her as the last daughter of, and so she was like kind of a price. Like she's the last woman. And you know that in, in Judaism, uh, culture and religion goes through the mother. Yes. The mother is more important than the father mm -hmm. because the father, you cannot identify him, but the mother, you can always identify her. Yeah. Um, so, uh, so she's like, she's like the price. That's why she escapes and she goes to New York and she poses as a guy. And that's also a, a first, you have uh, one of the main characters, a crossdresser. Yeah. And the action takes place in 1971. What? Yentl. Exactly. It's like, she's like an Asian Yentl. Um, <laughs> now, but she, she, she's cross-dressing. Well, here, I want to just, just for people that haven't read this, um, uh, the story is, uh, and how do you say the name? Juan? Juan Jean. Juan. Juan. Yeah. Uh, is, uh, his uncle has just died, and we know from the previous um, from the kind of the beginning of the story uh, that he's murdered. Yeah. And uh, each of these people, like there's uh, like um, 
each of the elements uh-huh. are, are ruled by a different, like someone kind of masters uh, one of those elements. And so his uncle was the master of earth and he was spirit of earth and uh, the spirit of earth and he was murdered. And then the, um, his nephew is traveling from Hong Kong to New York um, to deal with the inheritance. And it looks like he's going to be the one that is now going to take on and become the new spirit. Yeah. And uh, and throughout then he's being attacked by, what is it, the daggers? What are they called again? The ghost daggers. Ghost the daggers. ghost daggers. And they are kind of uh, the gang. They're based on a real life gang. Oh, really? From oh, New York, awesome. yes. All these yeah. things about the world I didn't know. Yeah, yeah. You go online and you will see. I mean, I changed the name. Because I couldn't use like the real name of the gang. Oh, okay. but it's it, right. it, yeah, but it's close oh. to Ghost Daggers. Okay. But uh, the head of the Ghost Dagger uh, like gang is the spirit of a uh, metal yeah. which dagger metal. I got what you're going. <laughs> There's <laughs> a reason so, for everything. But then, and then, but as he as the story goes on, he meets a bunch of other. It's basically him meeting a bunch of other immigrants, and they're all kind of joining together and yeah. helping. Yeah. Um, and as as he kind of takes this journey of like learning to kind of accept the mantle of becoming the spirit of earth um and then what you learn which is what we will spoil because we're gay and we love spoiling things <laughs> is that um it turns out the the uncle was totally and it just takes place in the 70s yes and so in the and they were was that the vietnam war they were yes in? yeah so they when he was in the vietnam war him and his war buddy were like totally like getting it on yeah and now his like former lover is a lawyer and is kind of like the one that's like helping him yes dance. and he's african-american and which he's african-american. also is yes. yeah so he's african-american lawyer and also a gay man and uh, I also happen to have a lot of African American friends, and I know that, especially in the seventies, these were not. This was not something that you would say. You wouldn't. You wouldn't yeah, you say never that. Talk about you know. You don't yeah. talk that about mm-hmm. about like homosexuality uh, in public, uh, and in the Asian community, it depends on where you're coming from, yeah. because this this is like a there are there are places where it was accepted and places where it was not accepted. Yeah. So they, they decided to keep it mum and him being a spirit um, of of the elements, a spirit of Wusing, um, he couldn't say anything. They're like Jedis, they can't love. Yeah. So there's a and. mission and he was like breaking the rule because he was loving this guy. Mm. And that rule, that breaking of the rule becomes such a thing that is central to the antagonist. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Which really made me hate him even more. <laughs> yes. Well, he's a real bad guy. He's a real bad guy. And 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 let me tell you, there's a scene where at, in the end when he gathers the troops, his mm-hmm. troops, um, I borrowed elements of his, um, of his speech from Napoleon's speech. Oh. oh. So it's like it's really intense. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It is uh, but all the, all, I I took so much time crafting those characters. I could like write a book on each one of them. Well, you definitely it's set up like, and now here's the here's this little gang. Here's the universe, and uh, yeah. and they're ready mm-hmm. to take mm-hmm. on the next yeah. mission. Like you even set it up where the one person that was killed kind of is brought back to destroy them. Yeah. So it is like set up like ready to go for yeah. like a new series. Yeah. So. Read Intertwined. Please read it. 
Yes. Yeah, it's. Um, I saw it's available at Comixology. Is it available on bookshelves also, Fabrice? It's available on Comixology, yes. It's available on bookshelves. Um, it's available at my table at shows because I'm selling it. Um, it's available on Amazon. Everywhere books are sold, you need to order it because, of course, there are no stocks in the shops. That's how it is. The book was under-ordered because people like, uh, meh, what is that? But everyone who read it find a way to like it yeah it'll spread like it spreads it. oh yeah. yeah so fabrice you're also the senior editor at humanoids publishing in yes, LA, I am. yes which I, am. I had heard of but i was not familiar with the backstory of it and i you just want to take a second of the company yes uh-huh. and yeah. i just want to take a quick second for listeners who are not familiar with sort of the history of humanoids publishing um Started in France in the 70s. Yes, 1974. 1974. Uh, That's before I was born. How often do I get to say that? <laughs> Unfortunately, uh, that was, that's not before I was born. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's only two years off for us, Brett. Let's not gloat that. Shut the fuck up. Shut up. <laughs> so it's, the, it's really the only European comics publisher born in Europe to have a successful kind of meaningful presence in English-speaking markets and American markets. True. Uh, it started for the past four, 20 years. For the past 20 years. It started with four founders, one of whom was the artist Mobius. Correct. Who actually came up on the show not too long ago when we played an interview with Stan Lee from 20 years ago that I did, that he brought up his work with Mobius. Yeah. Um, it started out with one magazine, and please help me with the pronunciation, my friend. Metal Hurlant. Thank you. Um, <laughs> which, which in English translates to screaming metal. Um, or uh, yeah, close. You can't really assure the vibe. Yeah, screaming metal. Yes, but that magazine was picked up by National Lampoon and published in America, and it's the comics magazine we all know as Heavy Metal. Yeah, it's a it's like a distant cousin. Yeah, uh, um, it, it's crazy. A, it's one of those things. Think about the situation that Marvel is in with his movies. Yeah, like yes, yes. the rights are all spread out because yeah. of a bankruptcy thing. It's the same thing kind of happened with uh, Metal Hurlant. Like the the magazine was uh, licensed to an American uh, uh, publisher, National Lampoon, as you mm-hmm. mentioned it, and then um, the French company went bankrupt, and in the mix there was a a few months. I think I don't know the whole story, but. I think it was a question of like renewing the copyright and somebody was like faster to copyright the thing in America and they they did it. So they kind of took the name and the logo despite the fact that it originally belonged to the French company mm-hmm. that was changing hands at that time. Well, that sounds very American. <laughs> <laughs> I won't comment anything. Uh- but Humanoids, so LA-based publisher for a few decades now, um, yeah. has had a shared sci-fi universe of books. Um, yeah, you know some some popular, uh, you know what I'll call non-mainstream books like Metabarons. Um, yeah, like the Incall first and Metabarons, yeah. which yeah. is a spinoff of the Incall. The Incall is to this day the uh, the biggest science fiction um, graphic novel in history. Jeez, like wow. the biggest selling. How about that? Um, it, 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 it is, like over 15 million copies. This, oh, is, wow. this is a lot. It was first published in the late 80s. Um, but 
but it became so huge. And there are like every month legions of people across the world buying uh, Link, the Inkal for the first time. We're actually uh, republishing it next year because um, the Inkal, as well as a, a lot of other books that Humanoids has published, uh, have been written by Alejandro Jodorowsky. Mm-hmm. And Jodorowsky is not just a uh, immensely respected filmmaker, is also a comic book creator. And so he wrote like tons of graphic novels for the company. Um, and uh, and he's still like, he's our Stanley. We we joke internally that Jodorowsky is our Stanley yeah. because he's like, <laughs> he, he's going to be 90 years old next year. Wow. And we're going to celebrate his birthday by re releasing or releasing for the first time in English some of his early material. Wow. So there will be a lot oh, of fine. a lot of books that we're going to do. And we're doing an ultimate version of the ink call. Uh, the way it was intended, like oversized and a slipcase that oh, is super luxurious cool. and, and numbered and with an original story from him and Mobius that was never printed in oh English. My God. Oh, awesome. Oh, that's yeah. awesome. Oh, that sounds great. Yeah. We'll look for that for sure. And so in other news, you've started a shared superhero universe, what I'll, like what I'll call an imprint, I guess, called H1 under the Humanoids uh, flag. I would call it a shared super-powered Universe shared superpowered. Ah, we're, we're we're getting a little more gray than hero villain. <laughs> oh, and when you read it, you'll understand why. Okay, uh, great. Because um, I mean, when I was hired by Humanoids, um, they came to me and say, "Can you develop something that is um, um, more in line with what the American audience knows?" but it's still compatible with the rest of the world. So what I did was I thought about it for a minute and they said, they said to me, we're giving you two weeks to come up with a good idea. Oh, Jesus. And it took me three days. Oh, because, no, no that's because I, I, I already I had, <laughs> I, I mean, remember I first, first I was a comic book journalist. So I've been observing the American market for 20 years and and also after that, um, I was a comic book creator, and I, in the last three years, I hit the road. I did a lot of shows. I, I talked to a lot of people. I went to a lot of different towns, a lot of different conventions, and I learned a lot about what makes the American market the American market. Mm-hmm. So when they hired me, it was like, guys, I have a vision. This is it. I, I know what I want. Now you tell me if you like it. And I came with H1. And, and H1 was already, I mean, almost what it is right now was there. Like, of course, the project has evolved. on, And this what we're going to launch in, in, in May is the, the ultimate iteration of this. But the logo was there. The name was there. Uh, part of the conditions for the creators was there. Um, the spirit was there of H1. And it was very easy. I came to the room, I pitched it to Fibris Geiger, my boss, Alex Donahue, the CEO of the company. Hi, Alex. You're awesome. And um, and the marketing and direct sales and marketing director at the time, who's no longer with the company now, but I mean, it was there. Um, and there was like a two minute silence after my presentation. And Fibris Geiger said, okay. And that was it. We were on. Do you think it helped that you both were named Fabrice? 
No, I think it was a problem. Stupid. It was a problem. He told me when I was hired. He said, are "He said, like well, the problem too? is that is that <laughs> what are the odds like two Fabrices in one company in L.A." we're probably the only company that has that. So it was confusing. And after two days, he said, because people were calling and say, which Fabrice do you want to talk to? Yeah. And so he said, no, no, it cannot stay. Internally, we're going to call you something else. Oh, no. So and you so, yeah, so else. I go by my nickname internally. So Are you allowed to tell us what you're Which is what? <laughs> I don't know if I want. Oh, okay. All right. Well, we'll just, we'll um, just think of what it could be. No, that's okay. I mean, um, because you will probably hear it at shows. As like members of my team, uh, or or even the creators start calling me by my nickname. So okay. I mean, they call me Fabe. 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 Oh, that's Fabe. my nickname. Fabe. Yeah. Fabe. So whatever. Um, so, so we started uh, recruiting people to create this, and the vision was to have architects, a team of creators, because this is not. I, despite the fact that I'm a creator myself, I ruled myself out of the thing. It would mm-hmm. have been very easy to say, hey. I'm going to create everything, and it's going to be Sapolsky-verse. Yeah. Why would you do That's that not yourself? what I want. What? Why would you do that to yourself? That's way too much work. That, a, <laughs> that's way too much work, way too much pressure, and this is not what uh, Fabrice Geiger hired me for. He hired yeah. me to bring talents, the best possible talent to the company, to bring the biggest ideas and the, the strongest concepts, and, and I, hope that, I hope we succeed. Uh, and I hope we did a good job. But up, up to now, all the people that joined us love it. They love working in this different environment. Mm-hmm. And the fact that um, it's a creator-infused, creator-led uh, label makes it very different. I, I joke often about this. Uh, when Humanoids was created as Les Humanoids Associés in 1974... Three of the four creators were cre- uh, three of the four founders were creators, comic book creators. Technically, it's the first ever comic book creator-owned company. Yeah. Before Image, before yeah. anything, and then of course, like they couldn't stay independent because like running a company, and especially at that time, the distribution um, distribution thing, and there was there was censorship. There was, it was a different era, so they couldn't stay independent, and, and it, other players came to play, but Fabrice Geiger. In his 30 years as the main owner of the company, kept that spirit alive, and he he's is like it's incredible because he's like 55 and he's been there like he he bought the company at 23 oh, and he's wow. still there and oh wow so and he still has that same passion so I learned a lot from him. I mean, and I'm not just saying it because he's my boss. There, there, there are no guns here. There's no pressure. Um, I'm not forced to do it. This is this is me talking. Uh, it's it's a pleasure to work with Fabrice Geiger because he, every time he says something, there's there's something to learn. Yeah, I love to learn, um, and 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 actually, I, I love the fact that after 18 months, nearly 18 months, no, no, sorry, 16 months at Humanoids, I'm still learning every day. I'm learning every day a lot of new things. Um, so we recruited our architects, and I wanted some creators that were just like us, underdogs. I wanted creators that were, like, overlooked. The first one that I uh, recruited was Kwanzaa, Kwanzaa mm-hmm. uh, who did Black. Mm-hmm. And Kwanzaa is awesome. 
he's he's a is one of the smartest people I've ever met. And he immediately said yes. He said, I'm going to say yes for the right reasons, because what your vision is great and we need to do it because that's what the market needs. Then I went to Yannick Paquette. I've known Yannick for a long time. The fact that he also is a French speaking creator because he's from Quebec um, helped uh, and he loved humanoids. So being part of this, and he also loved the fact that we recruited him not just to be a character designer, but to be a creator, period. Mm -hmm. His ideas are phenomenal. What he brought to the table, he's, he's, he's interested in science, he's interested in music. He composes operas. Do you know that? A comic book oh. creator that composes operas? Wow. Well, he does that. When he has free time, he does music. He writes music. So he, he's, he's like really a, 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 this genius who also can design stuff. And every, every power that is designed and in, in, in put in, into the story, he, he justifies it like graphically and emotionally. And then our third um, and probably our biggest discovery is Carla Speed McNeil. Carla is an independent creator that has been around for probably 20 years also. Mm -hmm. And all she wanted to do was to be a mainstream writer and artist. Yeah. And she never got the chance. Mm -hmm. We gave her that. And she took it and she killed it. What is she, she like, what is she doing right now? What um she's she I think she's finishing a run or she just finished a run on the Adam Warren series Empowered. Oh okay. Um but she 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 did uh Finder, which is her like masterpiece. Uh, she knows how to write characters like nobody. She writes emotions. She she was a a fountain of like twenty thousand ideas. Um, so these three individuals, I uh, gathered them in New York in the spring in a secret retreat meeting. That was April eighteenth, two thousand eighteen. I told you I was good with dates, <laughs> but that one is close to us. And, and nobody knew, no, and nobody had the right to say anything about anything. But we met, and that first meeting was really awkward because I knew everybody, but they didn't know each other. So we went for a drink, and I thought that the chemistry would never happen. And then Carla started talking about her family coming from the South, and Kwanzaa said, oh, my family is also from the South. I had relative there. And then they started talking about it, and boom, Chemistry happened. Was this at a breakfast by any chance? It was no. It was a drink and a dinner. Oh, okay. Um, You've moved past breakfast at this point. <laughs> <in my> career. <laughs> yes, and I love breakfast, honestly. But that was that, this was like dinners and 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 drinks. And it's it, the big and, time. And it started. And the next day, we literally shaped up our shared universe. That's literally, awesome. like I recorded everything. One day, I'll I'll probably um, publish that. But the whole session was recorded on my iPhone. Um, and all the ideas that came to be, some that we discarded. Uh, and it led us to create those, this universe where um, everything is interlaced with the planet. Like the planet is changing because we've seen nature changing. The planet is changing and the planet's changing because we fuck up with this, has an impact on us as individual and, mm -hmm. and modifies our DNA. Oh. 
So that's and the core concept. Oh, that's, that's so great. We, everything is ta- it, it's like up together, and we coined it by one term, which is ignition. Um, ignition would be how changed we are. Um, in the past, you would have like smarter individuals or people with like a bigger charisma or an unexplainable phenomenons. These were ignition, pre-ignition. But then, but it was like sporadic. But then with the population booming, it's happening all the time. It's happening all the time with more people. Yeah. And like in traumatic events, people can ignite and they get their powers. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's fun. That was a lot of fun. So How- through that, we shaped our world and we concentrated on three different um, series, which are our three different themes. One is called Ignited. And that in this series... Uh, stars a group of teen that survives a traumatic event and gain their powers and decide to do something to change the world with it. It's actually the entire runaways. Instead of instead of going away and say, oh, our parents are super villains. We can't do anything about it. Let's leave. Mm-hmm. Let's take the road. These people, they go directly and fight the powers. And these you'll see how political this book is. So it's a political inclined uh, powered book about the world today, but in a fictional environment mm-hmm. that and could have, be a world. You have Kwanzaa. And, oh, and Kwanzaa is co-writing with co-writing. Mark Wade. With Mark Wade. Mark Wade. Fucking yes. Mark Wade. Mark Wade. And, and Phil Brionis is drawing. Um, let me tell you when Mark joined the project, Mark joined the project we started talking to Mark last summer about joining the project. So a lot of things were already in motion, but he joined and it was so organic that he like, he was, after two meetings, we understood it. It was like, it was always there. Yeah. That's awesome. Oh, wow. Good fit. And an extremely good fit. And Mark is also working out of the office once a week. He comes every Wednesday and he works with me. And let me tell you like. First, being the editor of Mark Wade, never in my wildest dreams I would have thought it would be possible. And second, working with him and learning with him is like an experience that is like magical. Yeah. It's magical. I love Mark Wade. And, and, and I mean, I was already a fan. I always say, and I told him that my, my favorite works of his is not like Kingdom Come or, or GLA or whatever he did. It's fantastic for four ninety nine. It's the the episode where Doctor Doom reveals everything about his uh, Romani ancestry, uh, and he has mm-hmm. to kill his first love in order to. It's like before Thanos, mm-hmm. he has to kill his mm-hmm. first love in order to get the powers that he needs. Yeah. Um, and I thought that this issue, illustrated by the late Mike Wieringo, was one of the most powerful issues ever written in comics. I really love it. So. Um, so Mark is working and, and it was like, again, organic, like Mark, I, we said to Mark, do you, which series do you want? And he said, like, I want to write United. This, this seems like something that I can do with, but I don't want to write it alone. So Kwanzaa stepped in and Kwanzaa being like the architect and being a little bit younger, um, again, chemistry worked perfectly when they work together, it's magic. And now we have Phil 
And Phil is is also an underdog. He's 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 been around for 15, 20 years also. And he's been doing this work for DC and Marvel. He worked for the French market. He now lives in LA too. And people will see how good he is. People will see with Ignited how good he is. Because everything that we saw up to now is phenomenal. Did he do the promo art? No, Yannick, Yannick no. did that. Yannick, oh, okay. Yannick did that. Yannick, yeah. Yannick drew the promo art. But you, you'll see... Your first meeting with all this is the Free Comic Book Day, and I'm, I'm putting the finishing touches to the Free Comic Book Day as we, as we speak like, this week. Um, and the introduction exclusive story that we have in the Free Comic Book Day is from Mark and Phil. And you'll see all the characters from the all three series of the Shared Universe oh, awesome. um, tied together and explaining what the ignition is. The book is called like uh, H1 Ignition for that reason, so that people understand what, what, what is the biggest concept that we have, the ignition concept. Um, apart from that, we also brought diversity, and, 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 and I hate this word, I hate this word. The first thing that I said you to Kwanzaa. diversity? Yeah, I hate it because diversity is a construction. Mm-hmm. I always prefer to talk about reality. Yeah. Yes. So when I approached Kwanzaa and I said to him, uh, I want to do this line of books, but I'm not interested in diversity. I'm interested in reality. He said, I'm in. Because he was the same thing. Kwanzaa, he, he, he feels that the word has been perverted by marketing, yeah, and like it's almost like diversity is like a white main character with a black best friend. Mm-hmm. Is diversity? I don't and know. Reality is reality is everyone, the world we live in. Is the world there, is a main character. Everyone is there. Yeah. Everyone is there. And we didn't think about gender. We didn't think about ethnicities. We didn't think about this. We thought about how's the reality of our characters. Yeah. And then it, it, once we shaped the characters, they became real. Um, so we have we have that duo and like Wade and and and, and Kwanzaa is they're really great. We have Omni, which is yeah. another of the series that will surprise people. Uh, we wanted to do a medical drama in comics. Oh, that's fun! Because nobody okay. does that. No, it's a it's a genre that is very popular on television. But mm-hmm. how come there are no medical dramas in comics? We're doing it. We're doing it in a very uh, Humanoid's original way. Oh, um, and we have this uh, up-and-coming creator. Her name is Sherilyn Eaton. She's writing the book. She is. She was born to write this series. Really. Um, and it's drawn by um, Indonesian uh, artist Ariela Cristantina, who lives in Jakarta, but like, oh, visits cool. the U.S. Uh, frequently. Uh, she's worked on a lot of books for Marvel, and and uh, she did a series for Aftershock. She worked for Dark Horse. She she did a lot of things, and she loved the concept. She loved that we we don't have to play the we don't have to play the ethnic card, but all the characters come from everywhere, mm-hmm. and they're interacting like characters because they're persons. Yeah, they're not always have to. They don't always have to remind people where they're coming from. Yeah. And this is also something that, being an international publisher, we can allow them to explore. Yeah. And the third series is uh, called Strangelands. And I define it 
like uh, uh, moonlighting with superpowers. Okay, and like I Sybil am Shepherd. in. Thank you Sybil so much. Sybil Shepherd and uh, what? Like moonlighting, like with Sybil Shepherd. Uh, no, so you have these two characters. Oh, oh that no. <laughs> See, this no, is how yes, old yeah. No, no, yes. that, that is moonlighting. Yeah, that's yes. this moonlighting. Yes, <laughs> but it's like it's not the real characters. But of course, but this is the model. Like you have these two characters that oh, David and Maddie, can't be, that can't be together, but could be together. But they're like in the heart of a maelstrom, like of adventures. Fine. And it's an international series. It goes from a place to another place. They're on the run. Uh, and they can't touch each other. Oh, like because of like their powers and stuff yes. like that? Yes. Oh, Every know. time they go too close to each other, it, it creates chaos. And when they go too far apart, it creates chaos. But they're like in love with each other. It, it, they share the same name. Are they? And they have they? the same passion. Oh. And are, are they? Aren't they? Aren't you don't know. Them? Yep. Um, <laughs> and I'm really fun. interested on who you have creating this one too. Uh, this one is uh, so the creators are again. This is like this gift that we have. Um, the series is um, drawn by Koi Fam, who has done a lot of uh, work for Marvel and and Valiant, I think, uh, but mostly for Marvel. And it's written by two people. One is, and I, I believe it's the first time ever that we have that, um, a uh, female indigenous writer in mainstream comics. Her name is Darcy Little Badger. Uh -huh. And she's, she's young also. She's, she's young and she's super intelligent, super skilled. She's wonderful. I love Darcy. Uh, and we paired her with Max Visaggio. Yay! Uh, who's now like uh, known to everyone? Uh, she's so, the creator of Kim, Kim, and Kim, and she did Dazzler, and she did she did twenty thousand different stories. Evil uh, in did, the past um, three years. She did Eternity Girl. Yes, she did that too. Absolutely, and Jeff and I've known I've known Mags for mm -hmm. for for years. Mags was actually one of the first person that I met when I came to the U.S. in New York. We had this event that was surreal. Or in the summer of 2015 in Brooklyn, uh, with all the people that were like either in comics or aspiring creators um, who couldn't go to San Diego Comic Con, mm. so I was there. It was at the bar. It was a, a thing called uh, BarCon that was organized yeah. by David Gallagher, um, and Mags was there under her previous identity because Mags is a transgender creator, um, and. Uh, and so this is where I met her, and I've been following her ever since, and we met on numerous occasions. And so when we announced the project, she came to the booth in New York, and she said, why am I not on this? Oh. And I said, but like, Max, gosh. I've been trying to chase you. I've been trying to have you on the books since we started. And it was either you couldn't answer, or, or I didn't get the right email, or you didn't have time. And she said, no, 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 no. What's your... What did you have? And like, of course, I didn't have the right email. So she said, no, I'm in. I'm in. I want in. This is great. And I didn't know if the chemistry would work with Darcy, but they work beautifully together. It's right. they're just this amazing creative team. And Strangeness is such a fun book. People are going to, this is the sleeper. This is the book that you didn't know you want, you wanted, but you will want to follow every month. So these are our three 
ongoing series. And on top of that, we're really seeing in the H1 line graphic novels um, that will be released um, every other month after the release of the, the ongoings. Um, one is called Meyer, and it's a, a Breaking Bad-style story of the last days of Meyer Lansky, the mobster. Mm-hmm. Um, it's funny. It's very smart. It's, um, it's written by Jonathan Lang, who's a Brooklyn uh, creator. Well, he was in Brooklyn, now he's in L.A. He moved like a few weeks ago. Um, it's uh, drawn by Andrea Muti, um, Italian uh, creator, super, super, super good. Um, and we got covers from Sean Martin Brew. We also have a, a book called The Big Country, who comes from uh, uh, one of the um, producers and writers of Marvel's The Runaways TV show mm-hmm. and Iron Fist. His name is Quinton Peoples, and it's a Texas noir book with a family of sheriff um, confronted to a serial killer in a small town in in Texas. Very good, very good, and very smart book again. Uh, drawn by Dennis Calero, uh, with covers by Derek Robertson, and we have an, an international British book um, called Nick Nevin and the Bloody Queen, that comes from writer Ellen Helen Mullen, and um, Dom Reardon and Matthew Dalsmith are drawing, and uh, Jock is doing the covers. So, um, yeah, this is, this is, it's so it's great with, with your previous work in that it seems you're, you're so steeped in genre, which is one of yes. the things I've, I've quickly come to love about your work. And it seems that the H1 universe is no different in that there is kind of a, a genre layover to each one of these totally. titles, which is super yes. cool. And I think, and I definitely am excited for us to read some of these yes. titles and then talk about them in future podcasts. Well, the first so, thing is like, you have you. to literally harass your uh, local comic shop so that they order plenty of the free comic book day. Because again, we want to do things different and the free comic book day issue is going to be relevant, really relevant. Like unlike other, uh, uh, unlike other free comic book days where are you, Oh, okay. You have the preview of a title or you have a, a story that leads to a crossover or you have a reprint of something that has been done like years ago. No, we're doing something completely new. We're launching a universe. You have, it will be like a magazine with a s- original story in it. Wonderful. What is the date of free comic book day again? May 4th, 2019. Oh, star Wars day. Yay. Oh, Yay. God. Um, I hate that meme. All right. Uh, it's yes. totally and and the series, the H1 series, starts early June. Okay. Well, so look for FCBD in May, and yes. um, we'll 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 bump that shit, Evil Jeff. With oh the yes. Yeah. To May. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Spread the, the love. In June. Yeah. We Spread will. the love. Just, this. I'm a, this. I'm a big fan of genre. I like Marvel movies that dip into genre, like Winter Soldier mm-hmm. and stuff. So. I'm yeah. a big fan of this. Winter Soldier is like my favorite. Oh, oh don't, don't, that's Brett goes off it's on the, that. Oh, yeah, yeah. He, it's, it's the best. It's the, it's the best one. It's the best Marvel movies. Okay. Yeah. Yes, I agree. I agree, Brett. Fabrice, thank you so much. My pleasure. My pleasure. Thank you so, so much. Giving us your presence today. Yes. It was awesome. You enlightened me on like a whole new universe of all these fun, crazy things. That I'm, I'm also very fortunate to work with people that are more talented than I am. 
<laughs> and and this is like really great because I can level up by game. <laughs> yeah. So my future. By, yep. so, yeah, I'm 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 surrounded by geniuses. So like when I when I get back to writing or drawing because I'm drawing to, um, believe me, I will have learned from all that. Yes. So listeners out there, please be sure to read. If you haven't read the actual comics of Spider-Man Noir, please yes. read them. Yep. Please read Intertwined. And please check out um, the H1 universe. And we'll be giving yes. you more stuff yep. on that. Yes, because remember, people, if you like to read comics, then... Well, then that makes that you... That makes you queer see, see for thank you very much so guys. good at saying things you're so welcome thank we're so good you. at saying things together thank you for thank bye. you have a bye. great have a good one bye bye